Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 270. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. It is Denver Film Festival time. Thank God. I love this time of year. I rarely get out to the movies because I have these two little girls in the house that demand most of my attention when I'm not working. And so it's like a break. It's like a movie vacation for me. I get introduced to all this cool stuff that I wouldn't have found otherwise, and it's because of Denver Film Festival. If you have not logged on, go to denverfilm.org. All of the screenings are happening at home this year, which is a really, really fun way of engaging with the culture when we can't go out. Because clearly, we cannot go out. The pandemic is still raging. We are back to level three, the tenets of which I cannot exactly remember off the top of my head, but you don't come here for news. You come here to hear cool shit from cool people. I have one such person today. His name is Mark Burzens. He is the lead dog at Little Pub Company, which is the largest group of independent pubs and restaurants in the state, including some of my favorite spots like the Three Dogs Tavern up in the Highlands, the spot in Westwash Park. I used to live two blocks from there. I went there all the time. The College Inn right down here by 8th and Colorado. The Elm on Colfax and Elm. I'm close to both those places. I've been there a bunch of times. I love those restaurants and bars. He also wrote a book called Most Guys Are Losers, which has been turned into a film premiering at Denver Film Festival. I had the chance to watch it last night. When I interviewed Mark, and you'll hear me say this, I hadn't seen it yet, which is disappointing because I always like to see the film before I interview someone associated with it. In this case... Had a minor snafu with some of the screenings, but saw it now. It's terrific. It's really fun. It's really charming. And it stars Andy Buckley, who you might remember as David Wallace from The Office. Now, The Office accounts for something like 7% of all of Netflix's streaming traffic. So chances are good you've watched it a time or 12. He's just as terrific in this as he is in The Office. Mira Sorvino's in it. Her dad, Paul, is in it for a minute. Keith David, for the love of God, is in it. The performances, and I mean, those are just the big names. There are a bunch of younger folks in this movie who I hadn't seen before. They're all uniformly excellent. Seriously, my favorite part of this movie was the performances. They're all tremendous. It's a really cool story. It's based on real life. It's based on this book that Mark wrote for his daughter right before she went to college called Most Guys Are Losers. Being on the front lines with both customers and employees for that long, that'll give you some insights. And so we wrote this for his daughter before she went to college. The book kind of went viral. A few years later, here we are seeing this movie on the big screen of our own home. It's a great thrill, a fun time, and Mark is such a cool guy. Now, I will say this. It's interesting that he notes in this episode that most guys don't read or write self-help. I know that's certainly true of myself. For whatever reason, just kind of passes me by. A book called Most Guys Are Losers? Yeah, no, I'm into that. Because I teach boot camp for new dads, I've got two little girls of my own, and I want to make sure they land themselves a good dude. When the time comes, of course. We'll get to Mark here in a second, but first, this kicks off our coverage of Denver Film Festival 43, as I said. All of my coverage of past film festival episodes, where you'll find episodes with the likes of Kyle Gass, Jim O'Hare, Jello Biafra, Trey Edward Schultz, tons and tons of cool people. 
Look on the top bar. It says podcast episodes. There's a pull-down menu. Every single year from the Denver Film Fest is listed on there. So go check out past episodes, and all episodes from this year will be under that tab as well. That's johnofalltrades.us. J-O-N of all trades dot U-S. Now then, let's get to episode 270. It's Mark Burzens, author of Most Guys Are Losers, executive producer of the film Most Guys Are Losers, and the lead dog at Little Pub Company, Colorado-based company, independent venues. Make sure you are supporting your local independent business now more than ever. And when you go, over tip as well. People's livelihoods depend on it. You know what? Put this episode on in the car and drive to one of those places right now. Episode 270 of the John of All Trades podcast starts right now. A hypothetical question that people get asked is, if someone could play you in a movie, who would you pick? And this has actually happened to you now. And so... (laughs) Uh, how did you feel about uh, Andy Buckley playing you, and uh, did you have any say in that process? It's an interesting thing. Andy Buckley uh, went to Stanford, and uh, and I was a couple years behind him at Stanford, and so we have a number of mutual friends, and so when we were trying to get someone to read the script and give us feedback, I connected with Andy. And so he was one of the first Hollywood types to actually read the script. Oh, wow. And uh, he did it as a favor. He gave us great feedback. And uh, and it's interesting because we hadn't really thought of him for the role. We just were having him as an actor, you know, say what he thought. And so Eric Houston, who is the, uh, wrote the screenplay, also directed, he's, He's really the, you know, the guy who made this all happen. Right. At one point, the two of us were on the phone and we're talking about how, just how nice Andy was, just how he's a really amazingly nice guy for, for being a star. And, uh, and I said to Eric, do you think Andy could play me? Yeah. And, uh, and Eric said, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but let me think about it. (laughs) And so, Pretty quickly after that, he said, you know, he he would be pretty great. He's got a similar background to you. You guys are similar age. You've got similar friends. He he might really be able to channel your personality. And so we reached out and offered the role to Andy. And uh, I feel like he almost like he, he sold himself short. He said, you know, I'm uh, uh, this is a leading man kind of role. <laughs> he was just so he's so. Uh, He's so modest and he's really, really an amazing guy. And so, so we, we really had to say, no, please think about it. We'd love to have you do it. And, uh, uh, so yeah, I I could not be more thrilled. I think he's, he's a perfect, perfectly suited to it. (laughs) The real life Andy Buckley is sitting across from me here on zoom. We've got Mark Burzens, the owner of little pub company, the executive producer of Most Guys Are Losers, and the author of the book Most Guys Are Losers, uh, a movie that is premiering. Uh, is it premiering at Denver Film Festival, or is yes. has it been at other festivals yet? No, no. This is this is it. This is the so. first one. Fantastic. And so you reached out to me, which was great. As I was going through the rundown of Denver Film Fest, I looked at this and I flagged this one because I go, "Oh, okay, perfect." So there's a Colorado connection. 
And I also happen to believe, growing up the way I did, that most guys are losers. And so <laughs> you having been in business now with Little Pub Company for what? How long has it been now? Uh, 26 years. 26 years. This book and this movie was kind of informed by you seeing single people and women interacting with men on both sides of the rail. Can you describe kind of the origin for the book and then take me through how this developed into a movie? You know, I think it's interesting when you're a bartender, uh, you do witness a lot of those customer interactions. Yeah. And uh, and usually they're, you know, it's pretty amusing to be on that side. But where you really get the the inside scoop is you work with a lot of single, young single people on the business side of the bar. Sure. So most of our bartenders are young, single, you know, women and men. And so a lot of the front row seats to some of these uh, train wrecks, you know, uh, were actually, actually unfolded on my side of the bar. And so I've always believed that as you get older, you have this interesting change of dynamic between men and women. You know, I, th I think every guy remembers in high school, you're chasing the girls, you're chasing the girls. And you're like desperate. It, the, the stench of it is coming off you like lines in the desert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you hit your 20s, and, and in your 20s, the balance of power does start to shift a little bit. And by the time you get into your 30s, it's almost like guys start to take, you know, women start to feel like, they're more desperate and they're chasing oh, the guys. Yeah. And certainly by the time you get into your forties and, and the rest of your life, the, the power dynamic has shifted completely. <laughs> women are, women are, are really chasing the men. Right. And so something that I recognized is women often are late to, to that recognition of, uh, gosh, I'm not going to have endless dates and endless numbers of guys chasing me my whole life. Mm. And, and, so they, they waste a lot of time in relationships that they fully know are not going to work out. They're, 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 they're going nowhere from the start. Yeah, yeah, and they know it. They'll, they'll right. say, oh, you know, he's probably not the one. And you say, what are you doing with him then? <laughs> well, I don't want to hurt his feelings or I don't want to. And you think you need to get chopping because the, the good guys, when a good guy meets the right gal, he's off the market. And unless she turns out to be lousy – he's probably off the market for life. And so the, the shallowing of the dating pool. Yeah. Uh, yeah the thinning of, of the herd, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And then much like you, I ended up having daughters, mm -hmm. which is its own lesson. And uh, so as my, as my oldest got to be dating age in high school, I really started trying to give her what I thought was appropriate perspective on, you know, Guys will say just about anything. All guys start out great, but you know most guys, most guys are flawed, yeah. and you need to learn to discern how flawed a guy is, so that you don't waste time in a dead end relationship. And and that really led. That was sort of the impetus as she approached high school graduation. I thought, uh, well, she actually said to me, "Dad, what what am I going to do without you around to chirp?" unsolicited advice. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, I'm going to write it all down. And, uh, and then I really kind of surprised everybody by, I wrote it all down and printed it out on, on just printer paper and staple gun this, <laughs> you know, this uh, homemade book together. 
and uh, yeah, that that eventually, eventually enough women wanted that little staple gun copy of a book that I I uh, persuaded a publisher to tackle the project. And uh, by the time my middle daughter graduated, I actually had a real book. Wow. On, So this was one of those things. I mean, so how long ago did you write this initially, like for your daughter? Uh, That was probably seven years ago. Okay. So what this reminds me of a little bit was, do you know who Bill Simmons is? He uh, used to write for ESPN, founded Grantland, now founds a website called The Ringer. Back, he was writing in the AOL days, and his column, people used to just copy and paste it and email it. To, to their friends. They're like, you got to read what this guy's writing. This sounds like a later kind of version of that, where it's almost like it went viral, but you had this like stapled together copy that's, that becomes this analog kind of viral thing because enough women go, wow, this is really good. This is interesting. This is insightful. And you, you're almost creating demand from the bottom up in that way. You weren't actively looking to write a book, but that's sort of where it led you. Yeah, it, exactly so. It was it didn't really surprise me that some of my daughter's friends thought, Oh my gosh, I, w- I want to read that. And so it, that wasn't unexpected. What was unexpected was when the moms got a hold of it, <laughs> because the, originally I called it uh, the original title that I put on there is just dad. I actually put a little cover on there and I said, 90% of men are losers. That's what I originally had written on there. And, uh, and so moms would read it and just think they were dying to know <laughs> what a man was saying about his fellow man. And uh, one of the moms had said to me, who actually writes books, she said, you know, men don't write self-help and men don't read self-help. And you've, you've written self-help, a, a self-help book for women uh, about your own species. And so, uh, yeah, that was really how it happened. Yeah, that's that's so cool that it, it happens like that because that's one of those things where I, I always like to say this on this show. When something gets kind of invented or created that resonates with people, it feels like a thing that should have existed forever, right? It's one of those things you go, oh, well, obviously, right? I mean, hello, like most guys are losers. We we know, like, and I think you point out in the book too, like it doesn't mean we're not friends with them. But it means with your female friends, you probably don't want to date this guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's not a. Uh, uh, I think a lot of guys kind of re- hear the title and they they take a little umbrage with, "Oh my gosh, what what are you talking about?" And I say, think about it. Think about the women you hold most dear, and when you have a buddy who you know is trouble, yeah, and you say your sister says, "What's the deal with uh, with Bob?" You know, he's cute. Every guy knows that friend where you say, no, 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 you're not allowed to even talk to Bob. He's like 10 miles of bad road. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the guys that you're talking about. You can love them as friends, but you know they're not marriage material. Well, and I mean, you you know, like as a man and having grown up with other dudes, men can be scoundrels and, you know, like scumbags and just outright dickheads. And you go, eh, I kind of love him for it, but uh, no, he's not getting near any of my friends, which is exactly what you're articulating. And I think when you couch it that way, most men would go, yeah, no, I get that. And, and I think about it now. And I mean, even without naming anyone, I'm certainly not going to do that. Some of my friends, why or friends, husbands, 
I think, my God, like you, <laughs> uh, like the end of Indiana Jones 3, she has chosen poorly. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, I, and I tell you this because this is kind of after my own heart. I started a website a number of years ago and one of the recurring features was called the Love Lounge. And what I would do is I would find these dating advice articles on the web and they're almost always just terrible especially the ones written from a man's perspective. And I used to just take him to task and I would just totally undress him and be like, okay, here's why this is bullshit. Here's why this actually works. Here's what you should do instead. And that was one of our most popular segments. So you're a man after my own heart here, Mark. So from there, you, you had this book that kind of goes viral. There's a demand for it. You create it. You said that was about seven years ago that you wrote this initially. What was the path to getting this made into a movie? Because a lot of books that get turned into movies end up in development hell. Once the book was published and it was out there, again, wives are such an interesting outlet to get to virally spread something. And uh, uh, so not surprisingly, the wives of all my buddies quickly said, no way. I, can you believe Burson's did this? My gosh, I got to order it and read it. And so it sort of blasted through my friend chain on the wife side. And one of those wives lives in LA and she and her and her husband, who's a buddy of mine, they they're in reality TV. Oh, wow. All right. And so, and, and interestingly, they have two boys, so they have no girls. Okay. Uh, but, but his wife read it and immediately turned to my buddy, Dave Keen and said, my gosh, you've got to reach out to Mark uh, because this has reality TV show written all over it. Hmm. So he called me and said, this would be great. We could follow you around, establish that you're a good husband and a good father during the day, and then we'll go to the bars at night, and you can point out the losers. And I, of course, said, that sounds like a business disaster, <laughs> because, because I'm not going to have a lot of guys coming in and uh, wanting to drink beer, if they're going to get, uh, you know, publicly uh, pilloried uh, <laughs> for, be, for being less than, you know, uh, for being undateable. Right. For and being so, a loser. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we had we had a number of conversations around this concept of of uh, could we do a reality TV show based in 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 my bars that would play off this idea. And while it was flattering, it just I just couldn't buy into it. And one of the guys who was on this phone call was uh, a guy named Eric Houston. And he was also in reality TV at, at this time, but he was a film major in college. And so he said, my gosh, I'm thinking this might be more fun as an indie version of Meet the Parents. Oh, you know, yeah, totally. What, what a nightmare to meet. Can you imagine having to meet? You know, this, this dad, uh, you know, the dad who wrote this book, you know, you're going to walk in on your best behavior. And if you're actually a loser, you're going to be shitting your pants. Right. And, yeah. you uh, you got to walk uphill in front of you, you know, like conceptually. Yeah. <laughs> your daughter brings home a guy. It's like your dad wrote what? Good yeah. God. Like, uh, what are you setting me up for here? I, I get the concept immediately. Yeah. 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 So so uh, we were on a, a like a conference call with some producers and a TV people. And, uh, and he throws out this thing and says, would you be interested in maybe doing a screenplay treatment? And 
I said, now that, that sounds kind of fun. And so everybody kind of hung up and it just ended up uh, Eric and I on the phone together. And about a week later, he flew out to Colorado. And uh, this was five years ago this Christmas. So he flew out wow. and showed up, showed up at Christmas time because all the kids were home. And uh, both my daughters were in college at that time. And uh, so he came. He said, I want to meet the family. I want to get the vibe. And we had only had one serious boyfriend through this stretch. And uh, oh, okay. And he said, I want to meet that boyfriend and pick <laughs> his brain. What was it like you know, meeting you? And so we did that, and, and that was the beginning of, of the five-year journey to uh, screenplay. And then that time with Andy, you know, and Andy really helped us polish it up. And then once Andy, Andy Buckley was on board, which was last, uh, last a year ago summer, uh, once Andy signed up, he's such a lovely guy. Lots of people were interested in working with him. And then, you know, yeah, that, I, you're kind of snowballing at that point because I remember reading somewhere that The Office accounts for like 7% of all of Netflix's traffic. Yeah. And so you get a guy who's associated with that. And they're like Andy has such a warmth about him. Even when he's playing CFO David Wallace on The Office, there's a warmth there. Like the way he relates to Jim and the way he talks to Karen and – the, like the way he's sort of gentle with Michael's eccentricities, there's there's a warmth that you can't really fake, and so it makes sense to me that you know, and, and as I've said to you, I have not seen this yet, but based on the preview, you know, he's got you know some uh, he's got a little edge to him the way he's dealing with some of these guys, but underneath that is a heart, and I would say like how reflective of that, how true to life. Because I know things get lost when you're, tra- you know, translating from your life to a book, and then again, you're sort of filtering it through another lens when it becomes a screenplay. How close is that to the way that you are? <laughs> oh gosh, that, that, that there, that's the fun question right there. Right. When, when uh, the first, I remember when Eric wrote the first first version of the of the screenplay, and he he sent it over. And he said, you know, I want to get the family's feedback, have everybody read it. The first couple of iterations, the Mark character was kind of a dick. <laughs> yeah. You know? So so it was much more of a a classic meet the parent kind of clean the shotgun dad sort right. of thing. Yeah, I've got and, a twenty two and a shovel, don't do anything yeah, like yeah, right. That, yeah, that, and, yeah, that's a little know, played. Even, yeah, and even some of the comments were you know, uh, we're, we're very forward and direct and dickish and universally the kids are like, Oh my gosh, dad would never say that. Dad would never do that. And, and so <laughs> the, the script went back to Eric with all these red marks of <laughs> never would do that. Never would do this. And, and Eric then pushed back and said, uh, uh Eric pushed back and said, look, the, the Mark character has to be enough of an antagonist. Yeah. They have a script here, so you got to separate your real life dad from from the fictional Mark and allow him to be a bit of a jerk. Otherwise, this isn't going to work. And so, uh, uh, so Eric teased it apart and rewrote it, and and eventually ended up with with the Mark character in the movie where he is, which is you know the, the movie unfolds the night before Thanksgiving. 
Right. And so that's the busiest bar night of the year. And so really that's Is the it most, really? Yes, it is. Yeah, the uh, we jokingly call it Black Wednesday because <laughs> you make so much money on that Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Why, it's why like is that? You know why? I, this is why I believe everyone who's young and single, until you're married, you boomerang home for Thanksgiving. Yeah. And so you've got this huge swath of 20-somethings who all fly home. The night before Thanksgiving, you don't have anything to do. And so you're back in your hometown. And what do you do? You look up all your other friends that are single <laughs> and you all go out and uh, you see it. The, the crowd at the bars is there reconnecting, parting their ass off. I mean, bigger than I'm not kidding. Bigger than New Year's Eve. Jeez. Uh, if you're an Irish bar, probably St. Patrick's Day is bigger. Probably. But, uh, uh, but yeah, that's, so that's when the movie is set. And it, and it, so it, it sort of gives an excuse for, uh, if dad is a little distracted, it's cause, uh, the stress is ratcheted up and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's an interesting insight. Uh, I've, I've never really thought about that, but you're right. You come home and ever like, especially if you're in college or something, you come home from your college town and you're in your hometown. Everyone else is kind of there too. Yeah. I, now that I think about it, I went out the night before Thanksgiving frequently. I just, I'd never, because I'm not in the business, I'd never kind of put that together, but that's fascinating. Yeah. And yeah, you got nothing to do the next day. You're going to sleep in until whenever the meal, you know, or until a football game starts. So, <laughs> so it's funny. I'm a big professional wrestling fan and they say the best professional wrestling characters are you like there's a nugget of truth there's you it's true to who you are but with the volume turned all the way up so would you say that is it fair that the mark character in the movie is you maybe amplified in certain parts of your personality with other parts maybe just played down a little bit but with you with the volume all the way up yeah it's it uh the, the lovely thing about about uh the movie character of me is there are some real world, world, real world vulnerabilities there that when you're a father of daughters, you are, you are the man in their life until the serious boyfriend comes along <laughs> and takes your place. So there's an interesting undertone when you're, when your daughters become adults, there's an interesting battle there because uh, you're the most important man in their life until they show up with the guy they're thinking is the one. And uh, you're going to measure that guy pretty harshly. And, and there is, when you write a book like I did, you know, part of the joke is you've laid out your criteria for a good guy. And part of the humor in the movie is even though the guy checks the boxes for being a good guy, he's still not good enough. <laughs> right. For me. You know, I'm still going to nitpick him. I'm still going to try to find his flaws. And uh, I think that's a real, you don't have to fictionalize that. You, you As a dad, you're always going to go, oh, yeah, well, but it, but uh, does he have a good job? And all stuff that doesn't mean anything about it, him being a good guy. Right, right. Yeah. So it's interesting. My girls right now are four and six. And so I really, like, my wife and I were pretty much everything for them. It's great. It's fantastic. It's rewarding. It's also exhausting. 
but I know it doesn't last forever. As your girls grew, was it challenging for you to evolve your role in their life? Or is that something that you kind of accepted and embraced and lean into because ultimately you have no other choice? Yeah, I, you know, they talk about how for young women, having a dad in your life, they talk about how important that is to, to, to young, young girls. I felt that gravity definitely through those preteen years and into their teenage years. And, uh, uh, and it's really hard, you know, it's hard as, uh, it's hard as a dad. Cause I think we're, we're sort of hard to take care of ourselves. <laughs> so when you find yourself having to make time to take care of others, it's, uh, I think the selfishness, you, you got to sort of tear yourself away from the ball game and, and plug in. But it, it is a, an interesting transition when, you and your wife are the center of their world, and then their peer group starts to become the center of their world. You have to stay engaged in a, you know, a present and loving way even more because uh, when you see the statistics, the, these girls that are just full of confidence and so smart and lovely and wonderful, they hit that, that those puberty years and they go through that self-confidence crisis that is, it's devastating to witness that transition for girls. You know, I have a son too. Right. Boys just float right through it and don't even know what's going on. But there's a visible change in your daughters that, that is, is really heartbreaking in a way to see their self-esteem and their vulnerability through those years. You just want to, you just want to hug them. And they and they really don't want you to hug them. They want you to kind of back off. So yeah, it's it's a it's a delicate dance. And but I can tell you with with my my especially my older two daughters, uh, you know, who are up and out of the house and on their you know out on their own in the working world. All those little lessons you impart, they don't dig at the moment. They all come back. You really see them manifest in their adult lives, and that's really rewarding. One thing that's continually annoying to me is realizing just how much my parents were right about uh, <laughs> growing up. Uh, like that just things will kind of float to the surface, as you say. And you'll, you'll kind of have that moment of realization. You go, damn it. God, that too. How about that? <laughs> and it just it, – it's killer. <laughs> and so you're right. I mean if you can put it in there, if you can kind of incept it, it, it may not – it it may not take hold right away, but it will reemerge. So that's that's really reassuring to hear because my wife and I work really really hard at this. And you know it's it's interesting. I haven't dated. I mean I've been off the market since I was twenty three. Been now, good lord, sixteen years since I started dating my wife. We've never broken up. We've never come close to breaking up. We've been married now for eleven. And so seeing something like this, I'm like, oh, right. Like, I remember this felt like you almost feel like a feral animal when you're young and you're dating, you know? And so having some sort of guidepost and the fact that your daughters, you know, would say to you, what am I going to do without you kind of giving me this unsolicited advice, chirping my ear? um, The fact that they actually wanted that, I think, is a real tribute to you. So, I mean, the way you've cultivated that is terrific. It seems like they don't want to hear it at the at the time, but you you plant those seeds, and I and I think you pointed out, you know, you've been with your wife for sixteen years, yeah, and you're committed, 
that is the good guy. The second half of my book is about finding a good man. And there are hallmarks of good men. I think as a, a father to daughters, if you're a good man and you know it, and, and let's face it, it's not, you're not really bragging if you know, hey, I'm a good and faithful husband. Right. That's, you know that better than anyone. You might be the only person sometimes who seems to know it. Right. But uh, when you recognize how important that is to your wife, and again, to women's self-esteem, that feeling of safety that they feel comfortable and knowing that you are reliable and loyal and there for them, that's hugely important. And that was that, that was a big impetus for the book was to say, you know, protect your heart. Don't give your heart away too soon. Let him prove over time that he is good and loyal and all these things. And, and that's a role model thing. So your daughters will grow up seeing you and the way you adore your wife and hearing your story. And it's crazy. That will reinforce for them yeah. what they want in a, what they, they, they say women marry their father ultimately. <laughs> and I, and I, I actually take great comfort in, in thinking <laughs> right. of that. So, Right. It's interesting too. <clears throat> Have you had men read your book? And if so, like what's their reaction to it? Uh, a few guys, I, you know, I, uh, I had a friend of mine who's actually a relationship author and she's written, she's written like hugely best selling dating books. And, uh, she coached me through the publishing process on this book. And she, she told me when I, when I dropped off the little staple gun project <laughs> on her doorstep, she told me, she said, I can't believe you wrote this. She said, you know, men, men don't, write self-help and men don't read self-help. Yeah. And so uh, unsurprisingly, most of the people who buy my book, even though it's, it's a book written for a father to give his daughter when she graduates high school, you would think you'd have a bunch of men who would go on Amazon and buy this book and give it to their daughters. Yeah. Like 99% of the sales are moms buying it for their daughters. <laughs> wow. And so, so I just don't think a lot of men read it if they do pick it up and read it, they quickly understand where I'm coming from. I say, watch out for these types of guys, the cheater, the alcoholic, uh, the narcissist. I sort of go down and here's how, here's why this is a guy who's going to break your heart. Yeah. And then I get to that back half of the book and I say, here are the good guy things. Any man, I, I really believe this. Any guy who's honest with himself even if he's a divorced guy who, who knows, hey, I was a shitty husband. If he reads that, if he reads the book, he'll go through and say, "Yeah, I get that. I wouldn't want my daughter with that guy. I wouldn't want my daughter with that guy." And I have some fun with it. I get into some minor losers. You know, my my most minor loser is don't dance guy uh, because yeah. I know a number of husbands that are that are good that are good husbands and good guys, but when you when a good song comes on and their wife jumps on the dance floor, they are embarrassed to dance. Yeah, and to me, it's I call it the most minor loser trait because I say if you're not willing for the happiness of your wife to go out and make a fool of yourself, come on. And uh, well, so, and so 
Who among us is a good dancer? So, like, get out there, like, be ridiculous. Who gives a shit, man? You're living your life. Live it to its fullest. I'm with you 100% on this. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, I, I, I do think that uh, men, men don't read it, but if, uh, if you flip through it and, and uh, you know, if you get a copy of it, for one thing, you should get a copy of it for your wife because the back half of the book has a section called How to Keep Your Good Man Happy. <laughs> nice. And there are things that will really help you out as a guy that you probably haven't told your wife, hey, that drives me crazy, that if she reads it, she'll be like, oh, uh, I do that, and I should stop doing that. The, this this yeah. is right. This is where he shuts down, um, <laughs> and this is why. That's interesting. Um, it's funny to me because in a lot of ways, especially during when Me Too really started happening a few years ago, there was a lot of talk about, you know, we need to keep our, our daughters safe and, our, you know, keep women safe and things like that. It's like, no, we need to be raising a higher quality of man here, which I think is really, really important because there's a lot of victim blaming that goes on in terms of men's shitty behavior. As, you know, it's like, what could the woman have done to protect herself more? Well, ultimately, she shouldn't have to. Is, is kind of a big thing here. And I think about this because one of the things that I do is I teach boot camp for new dads. And so basically what that is, is have you ever heard of that, by the way? No, but it sounds like something I needed. I needed desperately about 25 years ago. <laughs> well, it's funny. That's about when it started in California. The founder realized there's all these classes for moms and childbirth classes and breastfeeding classes and, you know, newborn care and things like that. There was nothing for dads. And so he developed this curriculum and basically, so I lead it. I invite rookie dads in. These are guys who have babies that are due within usually anywhere from a couple of weeks to, you know, three months or so. And then we invite back veteran dads. And these guys have had kids within the last, I would say, two to ten months. And these guys get to ask questions of the veteran dads and say, hey, what do I expect with this? What can I do here? And mostly it's about how do you support mom, right? Because you're, you're building a unit here and you've got – you have a dynamic between the two of you. Now you're adding a third there and there will be a subunit in there, especially with breastfeeding. Where do you fit? How do you contribute positively? And how do you not detract? And every guy that I've talked to who's been through this class said this was the most helpful thing that I did before the birth of my child. And it was for me, which is why I continued to get involved with it. I came back three times as a veteran dad and then got trained to be a facilitator in it. And I thought, you know, in a lot of ways, your book is geared towards women, right? It's most guys are losers. Here's what to look out for, things like that. It's disappointing to me that, that more guys don't read it because to me, it screams wake-up call. You know, maybe more of them will see them see this now in the movie and go, oh, okay, you know, how can I work on myself to be a better man? It, does that ring true with you at all? I know that was a lot of narrative out of me, but any reaction to that? I absolutely agree with you. I think that men should be a little more responsible for their, for their behavior. And uh, I think a lot of guys want to be a good partner, but, it, but that takes effort. It takes real effort and discipline because of the way we're wired. You know, guys are, we are wired in a way that makes it difficult for us to be good partners. Mm. And, 
you really have to commit and stay after it. And so I, I have a buddy who has sons and he had said to me, he said, you should package up this book. You could just repackage it and say how to be a good guy. And you could put the good guy section up front and put the loser stuff in the back and say, Hey, boys pay attention. Yeah. And, uh, uh, like I said, I think the reality is most guys don't seek out that kind of advice, but, but it, it is really important. It's like that dad boot camp. If, if you talk to a guy who's struggling and I, and I've had a few friends who've had marital troubles and whatnot, the advice is pretty easy. Most of the time it's you've got you as the guy, you got to clean up your act. You've got to do these things that are meaningful to your wife. Again, it's pretty, it's pretty simple stuff. It's really that. not that hard, especially like, once you train yourself to pay attention, and it, on the blog of this site, one of the articles I wrote, my so I just had my 11-year wedding anniversary a couple of weeks ago, and uh, one of the articles I wrote was the top five lines my wife sings from Sirius XM's Lithium Channel. I saw that actually on your site. <laughs> and so... And it's so funny, but it's so specific. And I had a buddy text me. He's like, you're getting me in trouble because his wife texted him and his wife said, you need to be writing me shit like this. And it's like, man, just pay attention and just like note when she does something that you like or something that's charming or something that's different. Man, just if you can note that, that goes such a long way. And the more specific, the better. Yeah, I, I, I do believe that there's such differences between genders. Right. And a lot of people like to say, oh, it's a social construct or it's this or that. But there, there are differences. And I, I believe that for women, so much of their confidence is knowing that you, you are, that you love and adore them. Yeah. And the more as a guy, you can reinforce those feelings of you're beautiful and funny and sexy. And I just dig you. That's the secret to unlocking women giving that back to you as a guy. Yeah. And I don't, I think guys say, well, she's, you know, my wife, my ex-wife was, she went cold on me or she, she never wanted to sleep with me <laughs> or she, you know, she, she, this kind of stuff. And you think that's probably a reflection on the way you treated her. Because if yeah. you make women feel special, they give that back in, you know, tenfold. To you as a guy, agreed, and that's that is the best reward. And you think it's so like you pointed out, it's so simple. But as guys, we we often lack the discipline to follow through. I agree, and so I have two things that really come to mind here. One is a line in the movie Knocked Up. It's kind of a throwaway line in that movie, but Seth Rogen is talking about Leslie Mann, who you know is married to Paul Rudd in that movie. And he yeah. said, she's so funny and charming and her hair is always different. And I thought, dude, that's really specific because like I could say the same thing about my wife. Her, her hair is always different. And I really like that about her. That's really fun. And then I think about how many guys I know who've had the same haircut for the last, what, 20 years. Do you think she might get excited if you changed up your look? It doesn't have to be your hair. But like maybe you uh, you try a new style. Maybe you get a nice pair of shoes. Maybe something you know like mix it up because she's been looking at this same face that you have for how long and she's always changing it up that's kind of interesting to me and then secondly i've got i've got a friend who his wife is always kind of gently needling like the clothes that he wears 
And it's like, uh, wake up, dummy. She's trying to tell you to dress better. Like, <laughs> could you put more than two seconds thought into what you put on in a day? Yeah. So again, it's really not that hard. There is a little disconnect sometimes for men because we don't we because we don't really understand. We don't really put ourselves in a woman's shoes. Uh, yeah. You know, that's... A great example that I use in the book is flowers. When you bring your wife flowers, it's meaningful not because you spent fifty dollars on roses. You could bring your wife a hand-picked daisy <laughs> and walk in with it. For the for for your wife or for your girlfriend, the flower is saying, "I was thinking about you." Yeah. Which for guys to ever think about for guys to ever think about anything but ourselves is really hard. And so when you do anything that shows, "I was thinking about you," and I took the time to pick this daisy, magic. It, it has nothing to do with the size of the gift or the anything. It's the thought. And, uh, well, yeah, that's <laughs> the clothes thing is a perfect example. It's such a simple little thing. Well, and, and to your point, the, the simple, I'm thinking of you. I, I tell my friends this, like occasionally someone will just pop in my head. Like I'll wake up and someone from my past will pop in my head. And I don't know why, like I, you never know why it's there when you wake up. But what I'll do is I'll, I'll think of something and I'll just, I'll send them a nice little text message and I'll go, Hey, you popped in my head today. I'm not sure why. Remember that time we did this or we worked together or whatever. Really just wanted to drop you a note. Hope you're doing well. You know what that means to people? It's huge. Like what a gift to get. I've, and I've gotten those back and you're right. What you put out there will come back to you tenfold. Yeah. Yeah. Now ultimately that the message of, of the movie is so much about, you know, love is, love is trying to remember other people's happiness. That's, that's what, that's what true love is. It's not your own happiness. It is caring deeply about other people's happiness. 100%. That is the magic that really makes all relationships work. That's pretty much it. So it sounds like it was a pretty good, translation from page to screen. Um, you've been in the pub business now for, you said 26 years? Yeah, 26. Okay. First foray into movies. Do you have any more in you? Do you have any desire? Did that bug bite you? How are you feeling about it? You know, I have to say, uh, I don't know what I expected when we started filming. I think I had sort of a vision of the Saturday Night Live soundstage and the, the camera pulling back and I really didn't know how cool movie making is. It's really cool. You can see how people get taken in by it because it's it's a just the coolest process. I don't think I could ever do it, and so uh, I don't think uh, I think I am one and done. But uh, but I sure did have an amazing time watching it and getting a chance to see it and and. Uh, uh, Eric Houston, the screenwriter, also directed this film, to, and it was his first time doing a feature film. To watch him tease these performances out of the actors and even sort of you know change it up on the fly between takes, uh, that's a real gift. And it was so neat to watch him work with these... I mean, the cast we have in this movie, just amazing amazingly talented oh my god dude mira servino's in it who is in two movies that i absolutely adore romeo and michelle's high school reunion and norma jean and Marilyn. 
which she and she's she kills in everything she's in. She's fantastic. Yeah, the the, the chemistry of the cast uh, off the charts, and uh, uh, you know Mira's Mira's dad, uh, Paul Sorvino, makes a little cameo at the end. Nice. He's a lovely person. Uh, Keith David. Uh, oh, nice. Who, depending on how old you are, you associate Keith David with different things. Uh, my son had said, "Oh, he's he's a voice on Morton, you know, one of right. these, uh, uh, yeah, one of these cartoons." And I said, "I, I of course associate him with uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, uh, yeah. which is one of my favorite horror movies of all time." Oh, it's great. Uh, I, I associate him with They Live, the the fight he had with Roddy Piper. And like on screen is some, and then he's Mary's dad, and there's something about Mary, right? Yeah, We're talking he, about the same yeah, guy, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he has the pork and beans uh, line. <laughs> yeah, is the, is the Frank of the beans? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, but he's he is just he is uh, one of those magical personalities. Oh, um, and I got to tell you, Andy Buckley might be one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Nice. Yeah. He is so real and so human. He's everything you would expect him to be or you would want him to be. I kid you not, he knew every single person's name on set. Wow. Every person. He knew every person by name at the hotel where we stayed. He would greet them warmly, and, and you could see them light up like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. He, he genuinely remembers me. Everyone had said you're going to love Andy Buckley. Everybody loved Andy <laughs> Buckley. You can see why people want to work with him because he was just magic. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, this this sounds like the process could not have gone any better for you. Uh, it, you know, it was a challenge. It right. uh, uh, obviously with COVID hitting all these things, it, it was it, it was a challenge to get the movie completed in time for Denver Film. Um, sure. In fact, if you get a chance to stream it, it this is the premiere of the film, but uh, uh, there are still a few things we have to button up. We had to really <laughs> press. We had to really press to get it uh, done and submitted for this. So it, uh, there's a little bit of, of polishing that still has to happen, but it, it is for a year into it. I have to tell you, it's, I'm really proud. It's one of the more proud things I've ever accomplished was being involved with this project. And and the movie itself is really lovely. It's a it's a romantic comedy, but it's it's got drama. Uh, one of the uh, uh, the boys that my middle daughter grew up with, so he's early, you know, he's probably twenty three, twenty four years old. He left the little screening we showed, and his comment was, he said, "I think I felt every emotion, like I genuinely felt every emotion watching this." And he said, "You know, I expected it to be kind of a slapsticky." meet the parents kind of thing, sure. but it's a, it's a very real, it's a very real movie. And, uh, I, I can't wait for you to watch it. I know. I can't wait too. And like I said, some snafus with the screening, but by the time this goes up, I will have watched it. And so in the intro, I will make sure and, uh, and talk about what I've seen because I mean, this kind of thing is right in my wheelhouse. You know, I, I know the, the movie was filmed in Naperville, Illinois, but, uh, you know, Colorado Connections, romantic comedy, the title alone. I mean, most guys are losers. I, f- fantastic. I, I, I'm right there 
with it. And it's certainly a bright spot in 2020. I know, given everything that we've experienced, you own, I mean, you're the largest independent bar owner in Colorado. Yeah, is that right? In Colorado, yeah, that's. That's a fun little title to have. Yeah. And I have, I have visited, like, I was looking through the list and I've spent substantial time in so many of your establishments. Um, at one point, the Three Dogs Tavern was sponsoring my kickball team. Um, and so we used to go there after every single game. I used to live two blocks from the spot when I lived in Westwash Park. I lived down the street from the Elm. I, like, there, there's subtle things where, in the Elm, you guys say we have craft mac and cheese for your kids because kids don't go for the fancy mac and cheese. They, they, they want it out of the blue box. So like it's a touch like that that will endear you to parents. Like I said, my wife, um, I will meet her at the college inn for lunch. And so when I, when I saw who you were and what you've done and the fact that you've got this book, this movie, this pub company, I go, yes, like let's do this and let's bring some joy into the world, which is what this movie is designed to do. Well, I I so appreciate that, and uh, uh, just knowing your backstory, uh, you know, it, it didn't it didn't surprise me that we hit it off from from the get go. And <laughs> knowing you've got a couple daughters, uh, I I know well I'll be uh, I'll I'll be sending a, a signed book or two in about a dozen years. <laughs> I'll be sending that your way for uh, for your peace of mind. That'd be good. All right. Mark Burzens, this is the time on the show when we do plugs. Um, plug anything you want. You want to plug your businesses? You want to plug the movie? Anything at all. It's your time. Well, uh, certainly uh, with the COVID lockdown, uh, we love all you people that get a chance to, to get out and actually patronize bars. It, uh, it's not only enormously meaningful to me, but uh, you know, for our staff, it's uh, you know the people who are are healthy and able to go out really are the only thing that sustains, you know, sustaining those jobs for our staff. So that's huge. And then on the movie front, uh, Denver film festival, if you go to denverfilm.org, love to have you stream this movie and watch it with, uh, with your friends and family. It's, it's really a charming little film. And if you find, if you do find it to be charming, uh, would love to have you after, after you screen it, yeah, I would love to have you vote for it. For it's not going to win. Uh, I don't expect it to be the most dramatic narrative, but I, you know, audience favorite or or most charming, whatever that that award might be. I'd love to have your uh, thumbs up for that. So, well, fantastic. I will link to DenverFilm.org as well as Little Pub Company. So go on there, check out the entire array of establishments that you are the lead dog of. Be sure to patronize those places and check out this movie. I cannot wait to see it myself. Mark Burzens, this was an enormous pleasure, a great thrill, and I wish you nothing but continued success. And John, awesome. Thanks for having me, buddy. And that'll do it for episode 270 of the John of All Trades podcast. Big thanks to Mark Burzens, lead dog at Little Pub Company, executive producer of the film Most Guys Are Losers, author of the book of the same name. You can find links to all of that on the John of All Trades companion blog piece, jonofalltrades.us, also in the show notes. So if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or any of a billion other podcatchers, you can find the links right there. And hey, as long as you're there, leave me a rating, leave me a review. Hit that subscribe button, brand new episode will come directly to you. That's every Wednesday. Previews of each week's episode goes up on Monday. That's Facebook only. J-O-A-T-Pod is the handle. 
That's true of all social media. So stay up with me on all my channels. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. All at the same handle, J-O-A-T-Pod. Our sponsor is 4Degrees. The number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Whether you're building a website, trying to reach an audience, doing online marketing, social media advertising, whatever audiences you are trying to connect with, 4Degrees can help you do it better. And at a cost, it's very attractive. Number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. I'm out of here for this week. I'm back with more Denver Film Festival content next week. Cannot wait to hear you then. Until then, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I adore you. Thank you for letting me be a part of your life. Say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.